0: Well, I hope you had a great Christmas. My wife and I had such a fun time as we read the Christmas story to our children and then watched the joy on their faces as they opened up their gifts to celebrate the coming of our Lord. And I can still remember uh, very clearly uh, receiving a, a present from my parents when I was a kid. It was a bicycle It was a gray, huffy mountain bike. It had these white paint splashes all over the bike. And it had neon green and neon orange lettering on it. It was the 80s, if you can't tell, right? (laughs) And I rode that bike everywhere. I rode that bike every day. And I can still remember to this day, the summer after my 8th grade year, I was riding my bike to a friend's house. And it was in Pekin, Illinois, where I was born and raised. And I was crossing one of the busiest intersections in Pekin. It's where Court Street and Parkway intersect. I'm sure many of you can picture it. And as I was crossing Court Street to pull into the parking lot of what is now Ace Hardware, I heard some voices behind me saying very loudly, Hey Shane! And so I'm crossing the street on my bike, and I jump up the curb to get into the parking lot. And I turn around and look, and here are these two eighth grade girls, smiling and waving real big at me. Alright? And so I turn around on my bike, and I look back at them, and I smile real big. And I wave real big, and I, in a very awkward junior kind of, junior high kind of way, say, hey, you know, kind of like, how you doing, kind of thing. (laughs) And they're smiling and waving at me, and I'm smiling and waving at them. And then I turn around, and what lies before me is the world's largest light pole. (laughs) I have no time to react. My front tire drills this huge concrete base of this towering light pole. And my back tire comes up in the air, and it ejects me off of my bike. And the hot pavement just destroys my elbows and my knees. And these girls that I was trying to impress saw the whole thing unfold. But it gets worse. For some unknown reason to me to this day, there just happened to be this car full of high school guys that were parked very close to that light pole. And they saw the whole thing unfold. The, hey, the how you doing? The impact of my bike on the light pole and me being eaten by the the pavement. And they burst into laughter at at my expense. Kind of like you all are doing right now, right? But the story gets worse. So I try to save whatever dignity I have by getting up and running over to my bike and trying to get out of there as fast as I possibly can. So I run to my bike, and I get on it, and I try to pedal as fast as I can. And I go nowhere because my chain had fallen off. And so I do this awkward thing to get away by standing next to my bike and running away with it (laughs) as the whole world laughed at me. As you can tell, it was a traumatic experience, but it totally could have been avoided. See, I was looking back when I should have been looking forward. And this morning, we'll see from God's word that we as followers of Jesus Christ are called not to look back at the past, but we are called to look forward uh, to the future. And we are called to, to look at the new things that God is doing in our lives right now. So, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 43. And if you don't have a Bible, if you would raise your hand, an usher will come forward and hook you up with one. Isaiah 43. We're in the last week of a series called Awestruck. And over the last several weeks, Um, Pastor Tim has walked us through some very powerful passages in Isaiah, and I hope you've been left in awe of you as you've seen God's sacrifice and his sovereignty and his holiness and his greatness. And last week, uh, Pastor Tim preached the first half of Isaiah 43, and we saw that even though the Israelites were in exile in Babylon, God was still with them. He loved them and he would redeem them and he would be their redeemer. Today, as we finish the second half of Isaiah 43, my hope for all of us is that we is that we would leave here in awe of God's grace, and and that we would leave here looking forward to the year of 2013 with a great expectancy of what He's going to do in us and through us. So, Isaiah 43, in verse 16, uh, we see this calling to declare. The praise of God, to declare God's praise, for he is doing a new thing. So read with me, starting in verse 16. This is what it says. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Isaiah starts off by saying, Thus says the Lord, the Lord. He uses the personal name of God to show the divine authority of his words here. He's saying, thus says Yahweh. Thus says the great I am. Thus says the everlasting one, the eternal one, the self-existent one, the one who has all authority. Now, what type of authority does he have? Look back at me with verse 16. This is what it says. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea a path in the mighty waters who brings forth chariot and horse army and warrior They lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished quenched like a wick We see that the Lord has authority over all things. He has authority over nature He has authority over the affairs of men And here what we see in this passage in verse 16 and 17, Isaiah is looking back uh, to the Exodus and he's giving an an example of how the Lord truly is our Redeemer. And perhaps you know the story. Uh, The Israelites, they were held in captivity by the Egyptians in slavery for around 400 years. When the Lord begins to send these plagues upon the Egyptians to free them. And after the 10th plague, Pharaoh had finally had enough. And He decided to release the israelites and to free them But it wasn't long after that. He changed his mind And he sent his army with hundreds of chariots as we see in the text and thousands of soldiers He sent them after the israelites to capture them and get them to return to egypt And as the egyptians or as the israelites are approaching the red sea They look back and the egyptians are, are closing in on them and it looks like it's over for them It looks like there's no hope for them Because as we see from the text in verse 16, it says the waters were mighty. The waters were mighty. It's emphasizing the vastness of the obstacle that lied before them that would prevent their deliverance. Vast. Vast. Much like the obstacles in our lives often seem. It was seemingly impossible for the Israelites to pass through these waters. But nothing is impossible for our unsurpassing God who has authority, who can do all things. And he tells Moses to raise his staff and to stretch his hand out over the waters. And as we see in the text in verse 16, it says that he makes a way for them in the sea. He makes a path for them in the mighty waters, and the Israelites are able to cross over on dry ground. And not only are the Israelites allowed to escape, but they are delivered from the Egyptians. In verse 16, we see the word path, which is a symbol for deliverance. And so not only did they escape, they were delivered. And we see that this deliverance was permanent as we look back to verse 17. This is what it says. It's the Lord who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. He's saying that the Lord caused them to perish as the waters came back over them. And this deliverance, it was, it was permanent. They were extinguished. And how easy was it for the Lord to do this? He quenched them like a wick. It was as easy for him to do this as blowing out a candle. This is the Lord. This is the Lord who is about to speak to us in Isaiah 43. Let us take notice. Let us take notice. So what does he have to say? Look back with me to verse 18. This is what the Lord says Remember not the former things Nor consider the things of old He says remember not the former things Nor consider the things of old He's saying as great as these events were in our history Do not remember them Do not consider them Now he's not saying that they should absolutely never remember them He's not saying that they should absolutely completely forget them For we see all throughout the Psalms, David is is looking back all the time, remembering great things that God has done for him and done for the Israelites. And he's encouraged as he sees the faithfulness of God. So it's certainly good for us at times to look back and remember what God has done for us and to be encouraged by his faithfulness. But what he is saying here in this text is as great as these events in your history uh, were, do not allow them to become the center of your attention. Do not allow them to become the focus of your attention. Do not live in the past, for I am doing a new thing continually. And that's what we see the Lord saying in verse 19. He says, Behold, behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? He says, behold, it means take notice. It means pay attention. It means what I'm doing is huge. And in fact, uh, we see that this new thing that you should be fully focused on and give you all of your attention to, it, it is already springing forth. It is already rising up. The seeds have been planted already and it is already emerging. So what is this new thing? What is this new thing God is doing for the Israelites? Well, look back with me as we um, look at the first half of verse, second half of verse 19. He says, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. What we see here, this new thing that God is doing, it is a pattern of Exodus-like deliverances. It's a pattern of Exodus-like deliverances, beginning with God delivering the Israelites from Babylon. But climaxing with the sending of his son uh, The promise of the coming messiah Who would one day die upon a cross And be raised to life And ascend to heaven To one day return again To provide the ultimate The ultimate redemption of his people And so this is a new thing That we see God is doing in this passage It starts off with the redemption of God's people uh, from Babylon. But in an even greater fashion, we will see that it's the redemption of his people through the coming of the Messiah. And they will experience the ultimate redemption. And so here in the second half of verse 19, we see uh, the Lord speaking of this more immediate deliverance. He says, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wilderness uh, or wastelands, In the deserts, they were considered dark places. They were considered dark regions where there was uh, not a lot of life and, and not a lot of hope. And so what the Lord is saying here in this passage is when it seems like there is no hope, when it seems like there is no path for you, when it seems like you have nothing, I will make a way for you. I will meet your needs. I will supply you what you need. Don't look back Continue to to walk forward in faith and trust that I will do a new thing for you And this is the deliverance that the lord is speaking of here in these verses And then In verse 20 and 21 We see that the lord is pointing To an even greater new thing The ultimate exodus Where the lord's people will be delivered once and for all upon christ's return And this is what it says It says the wild beasts will honor me the jackals and the ostriches for I give water in the wilderness rivers in the desert To give drink to my chosen people the people who I form for myself that they might declare my praise And so here we see the lord saying that upon my return Even the wild animals will be transformed and made new and be freed from the effects of sin And I give water to the wild beasts and I give water to my chosen people Water is the symbol of life. And why does he give this to them? We see from the text. It's so that they might declare his praise as they were created to do That's why they were created That's why you and I were created. It is to declare the praise of god So what I want to do right now is is just look at four things Four things. Uh, four new things that God gives to every believer. And there are also four reasons to declare his praise. So if you're writing things down, this would be a good thing to jot down as we roll through them. Four things. Number one, he makes us new creations. He makes us new cre- creations. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. If you are in Christ, the old has gone, the new has come. Forget the old, behold the new, declare his praise. He makes us new creations. Number two, he gives us new life. He gives us new life. Ephesians 2.4 says, Because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we are dead in transgressions. He's given us new life with new hope and new joy and new peace. Declare His praise. Number three, He gives us new freedom. He gives us new freedom. In John 8.34, Jesus says, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Through the cross, you have been set free, my friends. Declare his praise. And then number four, he has given us a new home. He has given us a new home. Ephesians 2.19 says, You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's ho- household. He has given us a new home. It reminds me of a story of a missionary couple Uh, They had spent most of their life uh, serving overseas uh, serving in a foreign country and the lord never blessed them with children And so it was always just the two of them and after serving for about 40 years Overseas on the foreign mission field. It was finally time for them to retire and come back to the states and so they got on an airplane and they flew back to the states and the plane landed And they got off the plane, and they walked into the terminal, and nobody was there to greet them. As I said, the Lord never blessed them with children. Uh, They were older now. Their parents had passed away long ago. Many of their friends and relatives had either passed away or were too old to travel. And so, as the man looked around, a tear began to roll down his face. And his wife looked at him and said, honey, what's the matter? And the man said, after all these years, we finally come home and no one is here to greet us. And she squeezed his hand and she looked at him and she said, baby, we're not home yet. See the lord promises us an eternal home and when we arrive there We will experience a greeting that we could never imagine as we join in with the angels and we say holy 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 is the lord god almighty. He has provided us with an eternal home. Let us declare his praise So I ask you this morning How are you doing in this area? Are you declaring his praise? Uh, are you declaring his praise uh, or? Are you declaring his phrase and looking forward to the new things that he's doing in your life or do you find yourself looking back? And do you find yourself focusing on the past and living in the past and being held back by the past? Are you holding a grudge against a spouse or a relative? Are you unwilling to forgive a friend or a coworker or a boss? Are you paralyzed by a decision or a mistake that you made in the past? Are you so longing for a previous season of ease and comfort and prosperity and health that you're unable to embrace the new thing that God is wanting to do in your life right now? It's time. It's time to confess. It's time to forgive. It's time to move on. He wants to do a new thing in your life. Declare his praise. And then in verse um, 22 here, uh, in the beginning of verse 22, we begin to see our need to be burdened over our sins and in awe of God's grace if we are to declare his praise. Be burdened over our sins and in awe of God's grace if we are to declare his praise. Read with me in verse 22. He says, Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob. You have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I've not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You have not bought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your inequities. Far from declaring God's praise, uh, God's people have failed him. They have not called upon him in prayer. They have not brought him offerings. They have not pleased him or satisfied him with their sacrifices. Have you ever wondered, what's the deal with sacrifices in the Old Testament? Why did God choose for the Israelites to make sacrifices? Did these sacrifices uh, take away their sin? Did it bring them forgiveness? Did these sacrifices save them and allowed them to go to heaven? Absolutely not. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, it says, It is impossible for the blood of animals to take away sins. So what was the point of the sacrifices? Well, God instituted the the sacrificial system to show the Israelites the need for a blood sacrifice for their sins. And the blood sacrifice had to be pure and innocent. And the purpose of the sacrificial system was typological. It was to point forward to the sacrifice of Jesus that would take place in the future. See, every sacrifice that was made in the Old Testament was tied to a sacrifice that would take place at a later time when Jesus was sacrificed for our sin, where our payment was truly made at that time. And in the Old Testament, any sacrifice that was made apart from Christ was futile. That when that sacrifice was attached to the coming sacrifice of Christ, there was power in it. It's kind of like um, buying something with someone else's credit card. All right? So, a few weeks ago, the high school ministry was at Southside Mission, and we were serving breakfast to the women and children there. And we'd also brought them some gifts. And there were a few more kids than we expected to be there. So I grabbed one of my adult leaders, and I gave him my credit card, and I asked him to to go to Walmart and buy a few extra gifts for those kids. And so he gathered the gifts, and he went to the checkout stand, and uh, as he swiped his card and signed my name, was the payment actually made at that time? No, it wasn't. What he was doing is he was saying, I believe and I have faith that the person's name that I just signed will make this payment for me at another time. This is exactly what was happening when the Israelites made sacrifices to God. They were saying, I believe that the coming Messiah will make a payment for me at another time. I have faith in the coming Messiah and the sacrifice that he will make for me. I sign his name to my sacrifices and I believe that it's through his sacrifice and through my faith in his sacrifice that I will be forgiven and that I will be made right with God. And it's when the Israelites were burdened for their sin and saw their need for God's grace that they would make these sacrifices. But here in Isaiah 43, we see that the Israelites, they're far from being burdened by their sins. In fact, it says that they are wearied by God. It says they are tired of God and what He asked of them to do. And so they are far from being burdened by their sins. And as a result, they're not calling upon Him. They're not declaring His praise. The need for us to be burdened over our sins is essential. I'll never forget the first time that I was truly burdened for my sins. I was a freshman in college. I'd just been a Christian for around a year or so. And a good friend of mine and I uh, took a road trip over Easter break uh, to go down to Dallas, Texas to visit our former youth pastor. And while we were there, we went to the Good Friday service at his church. And it was unlike any church service I'd ever been to before. It was a huge church, and the lights were very low. And up on stage, uh, they acted out the events leading up to the cross. And at the very end, a man portraying Jesus was put on a cross, and he was raised up on the cross, and a Roman guard walked forward. And he said, people, go home. And that was it. And the lights were kept low, and the place remained silent, and everybody walked out. And I can still remember riding back to his house in the car. And for the very first time, just being truly burdened over my sin, as I realized that Jesus didn't just just die for my sins. He died because of my sins. And at that moment, I was so burdened over my sins And it was a real turning point for me in my faith as it led me to see the greatness of God's grace. And I was even in more awe of his grace as I realized the burden of my sin and the greatness of his grace. And it's at um, this point where we can be transformed and where we can be changed. And so as we continue on in the passage here... um, We'll see. It's not good enough. It's not good enough for us to be burdened uh, over our sins. We need to be in awe of God's grace as well, because if we are only burdened by our sins, we will be left in a state of hopelessness. So we need to be in awe of God's grace as well. And hopefully, as we look to verse 25, uh, we will indeed be in awe of His grace. So, as we look at verse 25 here, we will see that it's by His grace alone. It's by his grace alone that the Israelites will be delivered. And this is what it says. The Lord says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Wow. The Israelites wearied God with their sin. They did not obey Him. They did not call upon Him. Yet the Lord, in His response, was to blot out their sins and to forget their sins. See, our sins and the debt that they incur are written in God's book. And they must be punished. But God, because of His great love and His great mercy, chose to erase, to blot out our sins so that we can no longer even be charged with them. This shows how great God's love is and and how great God's grace is. But, if a modern day judge were to do this, were to simply erase the criminal record of a heinous criminal and, and, and say that he can no longer be charged for them, we would be outraged and we would cry out that it was injustice and we would demand justice and that the man be punished for his crime. So, when God chose to forget our sin and blot it out, did He compromise His justice? Did He compromise His holiness? Did He compromise His honor? Absolutely, not see the the debt that the israelites had incurred and the debt that you and I have incurred and the debt that all of humanity Has incurred was paid for by an innocent and pure blood sacrifice by jesus christ on the cross And it's here at the cross where we're most able to be burdened by our sin and in awe of god's grace because it's at the cross It's at the cross where we're we're able to see the magnitude of the problem of our sin as we consider the magnitude of the solution that was required to take care of our sin. There could have been no higher price paid. There could have been no greater solution given to take care of our problem of sin than the horrendous death that Jesus Christ experienced on the cross as he received the full wrath and the full judgment of God as every sin in the history of the world came upon him. The magnitude of the solution shows the magnitude of our sin and its offense to God. And this was the sacrifice. This was the sacrifice that was required for us to be forgiven and for our sin problem to be dealt with. The necessity of this um, sacrifice was articulated very well in an old Bible dictionary. It's it's a quote that uh, my wife's grandfather actually posted on Facebook a little while back. And if you're writing stuff down, and even if you're not, I would suggest that you start right now uh, because there are power in these words, I think. And this is what the quote was that very well articulated uh, the need for the sacrifice of Christ. And the quote says, because of our sin, Someone had to suffer, and God had to be satisfied. Man could suffer, but he could not satisfy. God could satisfy, but he could not suffer. But Jesus, Jesus being both man and God, could both satisfy and suffer. And it is through his sacrifice that we can be forgiven. I'm going to say that again. That is good stuff. I'm going to say that again and give you another chance to write that down if you weren't able to keep up with that. Because of our sin, because of our sin, someone had to suffer, and God had to be satisfied. Man could suffer, but he could not satisfy. God could satisfy, but he could not suffer. Jesus, being both man and God, could both suffer and satisfy. And it's through the sacrifice of Jesus that we are able to be forgiven. And see, God's willingness, his willingness to provide this sacrifice shows the magnitude of his grace and the magnitude of his love for us. And we should stand back and be in awe of that grace and that love that God has for us. That he would be willing to pay the greatest price imaginable and make the greatest sacrifice imaginable that we might be forgiven. So I ask you this morning, are you burdened by your sin? Are you burdened by your sin? Does it bring you to your knees, calling upon God, asking Him for forgiveness? And are you left in awe as He blots out your sin? And are you left declaring His praise on a daily basis? Friends, we need to, to preach this gospel message to ourselves daily and be burdened by our sin, but not left there and be brought to be in awe of His grace. And daily, we need to confess our sin to God, but not stay there, but be brought to an to awe of God's grace and declare His praise each and every day. And finally, starting in verse 26, we see our need to call upon Him and allow His discipline to lead us back to Him. We see our need to call upon Him and allow His discipline to lead us back to Him. Even though God said that He will not remember their sins, even though God said that He will blot out their transgressions, there would still be consequences for their sin. He would still bring discipline upon them. He would still allow them to suffer, to bring them to repentance by His grace, to bring them back And to him, because he is a loving God. And so, we see our need to call upon him and allow his discipline to lead us back to him, starting in verse 26, as we finish out the passage. He says, Put me in remembrance. Let us argue together. Set forth your case that you may be proved right. Your first father sinned, and your mediators transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary, and deliver Jacob to utter destruction, and Israel to reviling. The Lord says to the Israelites, Bring your case before me. Try to prove that you deserve my favor. They absolutely did not, as we've seen in this text. And then in the next verse, verse 27, God brings his case against the Israelites. He says, even your father, very likely Abraham, even your father sinned against me. Even your mediators, the, the prophets, the kings, the priests, they sinned against me. And as a result, we see in verse 28, God says, I will bring discipline upon the princes of the sanctuary, referring back to the mediators. And I will bring discipline upon you, Israel, because of the sins that you have committed. So I ask you this morning, what is the sin that you are struggling with? That is keeping you from declaring God's praise. What is the sin that you are struggling with that is burdening God? Are you not tired of, of suffering the consequences of your sin? Are, are you not tired of living without hope and without joy and without peace and without freedom? Have you not seen the harm the consequences of your sin brings to you and your walk with Christ and your marriage and your family? God wants to do a new thing in your life. So I ask you, what is the sin that you're struggling with? For some of you, perhaps it may be constant worry and constant fear and a lack of trust in the Almighty Lord who is sovereign and controls all things. For some of you, it may be a pursuit of worldly things, a pursuit of pleasure and of wealth and of success. For some of you, the sin that you're struggling with that is keeping you from declaring God's praise may simply be the way that you talk to your spouse and to your family in a harsh way or treating them unloving. And I have no doubt um, that for some of you in this room, it's the viewing of pornography that's causing you to not declare God's praise. Be burdened over your sin, my friends. Be in awe of God's grace. He wants to forgive you. In 1 John 1:9, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Call upon God. Ask him for forgiveness. He wants to do a new thing in your life, and he will do it by his grace. As we enter into the year of 2013, may it be a year for you to declare his praise as he created you to do. Please pray with me.